Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning. Hey, for those of you guys that were here last week, you heard Chris Ward joke that since Rick had asked him to teach last week and me to teach this week, that he and I were going to call these two weeks the bald series, the bald series. Well, Chris's message was so good last week that Rick thought that he would extend the bald series a third week when he returns to teach next Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? Ah, yes. That, that is Photoshop. That is... Rick, are you here? You, Rick, you rock the bald look, dude. Hey, what do you say? What do you say, like, right now, we just, we just make it happen? You, 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 we talk often about doing things on Sunday mornings that people would remember. They would remember this. They, what do you say? No, no. Oh, man, what a chicken. What a chicken. Actually, Chris's teaching last week, it was called The Challenge of Change. It was so impactful. The essence of the message was it's not, it's not easy to change our lives. In church, we hear plenty of messages about how God would desire our life to change. And it's easy to hear messages. Change is a great idea as we sit here and as we listen Maybe we even feel some real conviction to change, but by the time we exit the worship doors or the parking lot, maybe not so much. So much good growth potential, it just gets left kind of hanging on the vine because as we consider the cost of the work that we would have to put in to affect the change that God might be instigating, the sad truth is many just kind of bail on the idea. And the tragedy is, as Chris said, that if we don't actively participate in the change that God desires for us, then we, as Christ followers, run the risk of passively morphing into just following the patterns of the world. And I don't know about you, but if you were here last week and you left last week like I did, uh, I hope that you were inspired that that might not be you. And this morning, I'd like to talk to you about an area of change that I think that God would call us to. You may have seen from the program this morning that the message title for today is Grateful. I thought about titling it Grateful Dead because maybe more would have shown up thinking, oh, we're going to hear some great classic rock today. But seriously, gratitude no longer seems to be this pervasive characteristic of humanity at large, if it ever really was. And it seems that the virtue of being grateful has even grown dim in the church. And and I don't know what you think about that. Some of you may honestly, authentically, consistently live out of a pervasive sense of gratitude, be it for health in your physical body or health in your emotional world or in your various relationships or maybe health in your job or financial situation or even in the gifts and the talents that God's given you. Um, Or maybe even some of you pervasively live out being grateful in the trials and the challenges that you've experienced, understanding that it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that trials in our lives, if we would allow them, they produce spiritual maturity. And so in that regard, trials can be something that we could be yet grateful for. And so I trust there are some of you here today that live out of that pervasive attitude of gratefulness. And I would even hope that there would be some here that might routinely interact with people that live out that kind of posture of thanksgiving. How fortunate that you would be. But I think for many, maybe for most, 
We would say that we, or at least the people around us, lack this pervasive attitude of gratitude, which is unfortunate given the benefits that we gain from it. I read an article in Psychology Today magazine. Studies suggest that people that live out of a view of life that is characterized by grateful, thankful spirits, people that are exposed to other people that live out of such a spirit, they tend to have improved psychological and physical well-being. And I would be bold to say that they would have an improved spiritual well-being as well. The article said that there have been decades of already completed studies that consistently found that people that practiced, people that cultivated gratitude, reported fewer symptoms of illness, including depression, they had more optimism and happiness in their lives, they had stronger relationships, they had more generous, generous behaviors, many other benefits in their life. And that's pretty striking. And it was equally striking to read that there's a research team at the University of California in Berkeley that suggested that culturally, we now take gratitude for granted. Not cultivating it or practicing it at large, therefore foregoing all of the gains that pervasive gratitude would bring. And isn't that stunning? Like, why would we do that? It seems like a dumb move to trade all of those good benefits away by taking gratitude for granted. But the smart people at Cal Berkeley, they think that we have as a culture. And honestly, do we really need a multi-million dollar research study to confirm that? I would think that probably not. I would guess in many of our homes, in the interactions between spouses or between parents and children, we could quickly affirm this as being true, that gratitude or thanksgiving is largely just taken for granted if not just flat absent. And I bet if we extended consideration of that to the people we work with or we hang out with or we encounter as we go about life in the grocery store or the gym or the classroom, I think we might affirm that a pervasive attitude of gratefulness or thanksgiving for our lot in life, no matter what it may be, is just largely missing. And I'm not speaking of programmed surface-level thank yous that we offer or receive when a door might be held or when food gets handed to us over the fast food counter or a toll keeper makes change for us. But I'm talking about the experience and the expression of thanksgiving to the very core and from the very core of who we are as that being largely missing in culture. And because of that, there is a great price that is being paid, at least according to those studies, in our mental, in our emotional in our physical, and our relational well-beings. And we would argue that this gratitude dilemma, dilemma causes our spiritual well-being to take a hit too, I believe. Brendan Manning is a pastor and a Christian author, and in, in his book, Ruthless Trust, he writes, the person with an abiding spirit of gratitude is the one who trusts God. When he says an abiding spirit of gratitude, He's referring to this ever-present spirit that is just evident in a person's personality. So an abiding spirit of gratitude, it's not like flashes of gratitude or surface-level gratitude, but it is this pervasive demeanor of thankfulness in their rhythm of life that you can see it in people, you can experience it in people. Manning says that that's a characteristic of someone who trusts God. And so I think he would challenge us, if we have a hard time 
living out of a pervasive sense of gratitude or thanksgiving in our lives for even tangible people and tangible things that we have, if that abiding spirit of gratitude is not lived out in us in the normal rhythm of life, what would that say about the true level of trust that we have in God? That's a pretty sobering thought. That's a pretty sobering question. Manning would go on to say the foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. And as we survey scripture, given the amount of attention that's given to thankfulness or gratitude, I think he's on to something there. And you can flip to the concordance in the back of your Bible and be pointed to many, many verses that speak to thankfulness, that that speak to thanksgiving and, and gratitude. And yet, gratitude seems to be largely withheld even by God's people. Or we simply just take it for granted that God knows that we're grateful for him and grateful to him, just as we take people for granted, that they should just know that, well, we're thankful for them too, without us really expressing it. But that's not how God designed it to work. There's a story in the book of Luke in chapter 17, verses 11 through 9. It's the story of these 10 lepers that have an, account, an encounter with Jesus. And the passage goes like this. It says, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Do you see what happened here? Of the ten men that Jesus miraculously miraculously healed of their leprosy, only one came back to thank Jesus. And not a programmed thank you, but one that oozed out of the very core of who he was, praising God for what he had done, giving glory or giving weight to who God was. Getting healed of leprosy, it was no small thing. In Jesus' time, someone with leprosy, they were cast out of society, sent to a colony on the fringes of town, forced into separation from their family and their friends and their job and every part of life as that person would have known it, it was gone. To live in isolation with others afflicted with leprosy where they would just simply wait to die. And so to be healed of this disease was essentially like being given this new life. And these ten, for these ten men, it was a gift far beyond anything that they could have ever hoped or imagined. Yet even as they literally watched the disease vanish from their bodies, only one of the ten saw fit to turn back to Jesus and to express this heart of thanksgiving. And telling it is that the passage says that that one man was a Samaritan. Somebody who during that time would have been considered a religious outsider compared to the other nine who who were Jewish, and therefore they would have been considered the, the religious ones, you know, the people of God. 
And how tragic is that, that the people of God would miss out on this opportunity to explicitly give thanks to God out of profoundly grateful hearts. And here's the deal. If that wasn't a big deal, Jesus wouldn't have even mentioned it. But he does mention it. He says, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? This was a big deal then. And it's a big deal now. Could it be that in our own midst, if God laid bare the truth of the presence or the lack of an abiding spirit of gratitude in each of us for everyone to see, you know, like there was this bright glow over the ones that oozed this grateful spirit, that as a crowd that we would fit more closely with the attitude of the nine rather than the attitude of the one? Would our room be dimly lit? Up until a few weeks ago, as I considered this topic, I thought, the church really needs to hear this message. Like, you guys really need to hear it. Me, I'm doing okay, but you guys, you guys need it. Well, three Sundays ago, I came to the office to get some work done, and Saturday, or three Saturdays ago, and Saturdays, they're an off day for all the staff, and we had no events planned here for that day, so I knew that it would be quiet. And I'm an early bird, and so I got up here before the sun was up, and given the time of the day and the fact that it was a Saturday, no surprise, the building was empty. And so I'm sitting in my office, and I'm having this quiet time before I went about the work that I hoped to accomplish that day, and so I'm reading a psalm, which is my habit each day. And as I read the psalm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to call my attention to something that God would want me to kind of marinate in or to reflect on. And I noted as I read Psalm 29 that seven times in 11 verses, the psalmist referred to the voice of the Lord. And so I'm thinking, well, surely that's what I'm supposed to be reflecting on. But as I tried to meditate on that, my mind kept getting drawn back to verse 2, which reads, Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And specifically, my eyes, they kept coming back to the word worship. And this little tiny superscript O that was next to it. Can you see that little tiny O in the picture? Well, those superscripts in my Bible, they point to a dictionary in the back that will tell you what the meaning of that word is in the original Hebrew or the original Greek, depending on if you're reading the Old and the New Testament. But I'm thinking, man, I know what worship means. It means exalt God, lift praises to him, you know, kind of high-five him for who he is and for what he's done. And so I asked God, like, what am I supposed to do with that verse? In other words, what's the application point for me today? How do I worship you in the splendor of your holiness? And I start to think about these songs that I have on my iPhone that praise God for his holiness. And I'm thinking, well, I can just belt those out throughout the day and I can keep me in this place of worshiping God for his holiness. (laughs) God has such a great sense of humor. So he keeps bringing my attention back to that little O. And so I finally flip to the back of the Bible, to the dictionary, and to the original Hebrew word that's translated worship in this verse. Actually, what it means is to bow down in deference of another person's superior status, to bow down. And that didn't feel much like the definition I literally envisioned in my mind. And so I asked God, well, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And immediately I felt this incredible urge 
to get on the floor on my face before God. Now, you need to know this about me. I have no recollection that I've ever really done that before. I know it's a posture that some people take when praying or worshiping God, but I don't remember ever assuming that position before. And, and if I did, not with the urgency that I was feeling. And so I couldn't fight it off. And so after a while, I just start to head to the floor. And I'm feeling awkward, kind of like I'm feeling right now. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, what if somebody, somebody comes to see me? And then, and then I'm thinking, well, it's Saturday and it's early and I'm in my office and actually the door's shut and the blinds are closed. And, but the truth was, for what seemed like a long time, I was just there like this and I've just got my mind distracted about listening for somebody to come. But then, finally, that started to melt away and, and I began to meditate on this verse about worshiping God in the splendor of his holiness. And I began to talk to God about how holy he really is. And it caused my thoughts to drift to, frankly, how unholy that I was, how imperfect that I was. And I began to think about the sin that pervades my life and um, how unworthy I was to even bow down before him, let alone to talk to him. But out of those humbling thoughts, my thoughts and even audible words began to, to turn to thanks for God. That even as an unholy, unworthy dude, that I could have all of the blessings that he's given me, even though I, I didn't deserve them. And so first, I profoundly thank God for the gift of eternal life that I got to have because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I just told God how grateful I was for that. But soon I began to gush these words of thanksgiving for my two children, for Deanna and Brett, <clears throat> and the spouses that God gave them, and, and for each of my five beautiful grandkids, and for a mother that I, I love dearly. And I thank God for this job that I have, not this part of the job, but the job, and I thought about, I thought about what a crazy adventure that this has been for me. And then I, I thanked God for putting Rick in my life and Steve in my life and Bob in my life and many other people in my life by name. And I thank God for my relatively good health and my financial stability. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just gushing words. I was gushing tears good tears, tears of joy for all that I have. And I realized in that moment, God hadn't put this message on my heart for you, but he put this message on my heart for me. See, my light had grown dim, and he caught me completely off guard. I had been taking God for granted, and I had been taking the people around me for granted. And Manning goes on in this book, and he says, Gratitude arises from the lived perception, evaluation, and acceptance of all of life as grace, as this undeserved, unearned gift from the Father's hand. 
And in that time that I spent on the floor, I experienced the fullness of God's grace. And as I did, I experienced and I expressed true spiritual gratitude to God and for all that I had. And I didn't start out that way. But that's where I wound up. And this was no kidding. My day got so much better after that. I felt physically, emotionally, spiritually better than I had in a long time. And, and it had this positive effect on me that I think has lingered. Like, I don't think you have to get down on your face, though you can. I haven't since. But I have put myself in this posture and this, and this place that just has allowed me to more consistently, literally cultivate this gratitude before God. Yes, in my quiet times, which are essential for that undistracted time that we need to have, but I found as well, I began to cultivate gratitude as I was driving in my car, and as I was at HEB, and around the dinner table with my kids, and it seemed that I had this greater awareness of the blessings in my life and where they had come from than I had before that time on the floor, and it's made this difference for me. And I think the practice of gratitude is supposed to make a difference for you guys too. If if that's resonating with you at all, then I have some thoughts for you to consider. If you would like to kind of turn up the glow on your thankfulness light, if you think that maybe it's even a little bit dimmer than God would have it be. And the first thing to boost your attitude of gratitude, so to speak, you were waiting for me to say that, I know that, uh, is is to shed the mindset of either entitlement or self-dependence, if you have one of those, because both of those are toxic to a spirit of thanksgiving. A mindset of entitlement means that you hold the belief that you are inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. And whether that entitlement mindset relates to tangible things you think that you have coming to you, like financial provision or a place to live or food to eat or an education or if entitlement relates to intangible things you think you have coming to you, like feeling entitled to respect or acceptance or even love, when somebody holds this mindset that they're entitled to those things, that they have a right to them simply because they're breathing and sucking air, then it becomes counterintuitive for them to have an attitude of gratefulness or gratefulness for the person that provides them. Like, why would someone be grateful for anything if they inherently believe that it's their right to have them? Gratefulness becomes incompatible with an entitled life. Does that make sense? Entitlement, it kills gratitude. But then there's the antithesis of the entitled mindset. It's the self-dependent one. A person that holds this mentality, they they hold the belief that they can only rely on themselves, their own strength, their own efforts, rather than on others to receive the things, to get the things that they think that they need or dangerously that they want. The material things, the relationships, the good health, they see themselves and their hard work as the source of all things. No one's going to give them anything. Anything and everything they have is because they earned it. Why would somebody that has this mindset extend gratitude or thanksgiving to anyone beyond just themselves? Self-dependence kills gratitude. And we're called to work hard, but there is a danger as we're working hard to think that it's us that's providing everything. We have to foster this mindset that's just based 
on grace, that everything that we have comes from the undeserved favor of God. It says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So that's the first thing. We just need to consider what our mindset is and to shed those toxic ones if we have even a shred of it in us. And then we need to understand that gratitude is something to be cultivated. Gratitude doesn't just happen. I want to say we weren't born with it, but we were. Originally, that was God's plan, but sin kind of blew that up. We have to actively work at it. And as we do, it will be increasingly normative for us to develop and then live out of an abiding spirit of gratitude. It takes practice. I'll use a golf swing analogy, and I can't golf at all. But to develop a a consistent and effective golf swing, it takes practice. And if you golf and if you've ever been to a coach for help and they change the mechanics of your swing, it feels very awkward at first. It, It doesn't feel normal. But the more you practice it, the more you begin to develop what I'll call this muscle memory, you know, where, where what be, it just becomes this natural rhythm of your swing that's not only reproducible with little thought, but one in which you consistently begin to experience the positive effects of that habitual swing. And like any golfer will tell you, if they stop practicing, then they begin to drift away from the good mechanics to keep that swing humming, And the bad habits start to set in, and they will experience less and less the positive effects. It's just the way it works with the golf swing, and it works works like that with, with anything that we attempt to do and do really well. Well, it's the same with the practice of thanksgiving. You just have to start doing it and then keep doing it. So cultivate a practice or cultivate or work at developing a spirit of gratitude. Okay, so well, how do I, I okay, maybe I want to do that. How would I even start? And here's how it starts. It starts with the need to pause. It starts with the need to pause because gratitude grows in the pauses of life. When I paused, all of a sudden gratitude welled up in me. And conversely, then, gratitude, it diminishes in the hurried pace of life. So we have to make time to stop. Maybe not with your face to the floor like mine was three Saturdays ago, ago, but in some manner or in some posture, we, we have to literally force time into our life for this. And we make, we make tons of time for other things that we think bring us gain. Well, if you really think that God could bring you gain in your life in this, then you have to put your money where your mouth is and you have to make time for it. You can't just think, well, it's a good idea as you sit here, but then you leave here and it's gone. And so in the pause, I want to share with you a couple of things that I think if you would do, you could find yourself moving towards this place of gratitude. The first thing is worship the splendor of God's holiness. We need to contemplate how perfect and holy he is which should then compel us to consider how imperfect and how unholy we are in relation to him. And in that time, that may provide a great time for you to consider your sins, maybe to even confess and repent. And then we need to consciously elevate God to his rightful place as God. It says in Psalm 46, verse 10, God says, Be still, like get in the pause, be still, and know that I am God. And in the pause then that we can, uh, we can do 
um, in this hectic pace of life, we often just flip that script and mindset and we elevate ourselves to the status of God. But that then feeds that self-dependent mindset and we know that's toxic. So we have to elevate God to being God and we can do that in the pause. And so now the third thing is now we find ourselves in a good place to begin to remember just how good and gracious and generous God has been to us. In the eternal life he offered us in Jesus, of course, but then as well in the people that are around us and in the provision and the gifts that he's given us. Maybe even in the trials as we look back and we remember those things and we can clearly see God's hand on them. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that we should thank God for all he has done. And he has done a lot. And to put ourselves in this place of gratitude, we just need to be reminding ourselves of those things. And then finally, just either pray or write out a prayer of thanksgiving to God and offer it to him. Just, just four things in the pause. And if you would, would create some consistent pauses that might look like that, there will be the seed planted that with some work can grow into an abiding spirit of gratitude in your life. And you will start to live it out. People will see it. People will feel it as you express gratitude for them and gratitude for God. And it will make a difference. I promise you it will make a difference. And so here quickly is the challenge I leave you with for the week. Use the concordance in the back of your Bible or go to the internet and search for scripture that includes the word thanks or some derivative of that, thanks or thanksgiving or thankful or gratitude, and make a list of the verses and then read them. Oh, there's a novel idea. And then read them. And as you read them, begin to make a list of the things that scripture says you should be thankful for. And you will be amazed at the breadth of things, and they are very specific things. And this could take more than one sitting, and that's fine. But then with those things fresh in your mind, create a pause in your life, just like we talked about. That's the challenge this week, is work to understand what Scripture says we should be thankful for, and then work a pause into your life. And I can say with high certainty if you would do that. And if you would continue to do that, as your spirit of gratitude grows, so will every part of your well-being. And you will be so glad for the work that you've put in. Father in heaven, um, it is no small thing. It isn't easy to walk back out into a world and to do hard work. But, but we believe, Father, that you do call the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, to an attitude and a spirit of gratefulness. And we might acknowledge together, Father, that um, it has become lacking in our society and even maybe in our own lives. And so I would beg you, Father, for my friends here and even for myself that you... Um, that you would move us and compel us to do the work that it takes to build an abiding spirit of gratitude in our lives. And I pray this with great hope in Jesus' name. Amen.